Hello and welcome to Euphoria. This is the greatest podcast ever. Um, you can kind of look at this as episode eight, but we're still going to call it episode seven. As many of you know, we uh, did not release our episode last week in uh, the chaos that was last week, to put it lightly. Um, that said, Crown Shot and Amazing were our guests last week, and they were fantastic. So at the same time that this podcast is going to be coming out, uh, both of those interviews will be released as separate little excerpts from the previous episode. Um, we could have released the full episode, but honestly, everything that we talk about is now a week old and probably no longer relevant. So we thought we'd just release the interviews. This episode, however, will be released in full. You're going to get the full experience. YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. Our special guest today is Finn from Rogue, currently tied number one team in the league. And uh, Frostgren, and just to get into it, State of the league. <laughs> a little bit bananas uh, is my family-friendly way of describing the quality of League of Legends we've seen in the past two to three weeks. I mean, you have situations where SK will lose to Misfits and then beat Rogue. You have mm-hmm. situations where Origin are dropping every game. Yes. Um, where Fnatic probably look the worst that they've ever looked. Uh Everything is wild, and I think it, it's volatile to say the least. Now, that said, I don't know the full history of the European LCS or the LEC now. Um, I will say that in my background coming from the LPL, this is actually pretty par for the course. I'm actually really used to <laughs> just like clown fiestas in the standings where it's just like sixth place, the clown car opens up and like 20 teams get out. Excuse me, 19 teams. <laughs> uh, and then, because the joke always was is that there was so many games in the LPL that... Mm-hmm the burnout was so real that teams just really stopped caring and that you wouldn't really see a team's true power, at least in the LPL, until you got into playoffs. And then suddenly, you know, the Invictus Gamings, the Star Home Royal Clubs, the EDGs of the past, RIP EDG, sorry guys, uh, would find that sixth gear and then just like power through. And I don't know if that's the case. Like maybe I'm biased because that's w- what I grew up on. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, yeah, I still have faith though that when we, when we get into playoffs that like, the good teams will find that sixth gear and then like power through or we're actually watching the death of a lot of our legacy dynasty kings heading into this playoffs yeah so let's talk about the teams that are dying right now because like the, 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 na- the yeah there are two names on the list that i think are especially um stand out to me and misfits and origin and their incredible free fall down through the standings after what felt like a very brief honeymoon phase with uh with Denik and you're like oh my god this is exactly what the team needs we're back to like okay so another split where misfits aren't gonna make playoffs but the thing is is that's kind of expected from misfits like no shade but the reality is is that misfits don't have the same expectations placed on them as the fanatics and the origins mm-hmm, and i think frankly especially coming from uh the broadcast perspective like people kept asking us oh you know are g2 and fanatic done or g2 and fanatic done and in the past, we were like, well, no, until you actually take a championship from them, they're not done. I think they might actually when be done. When you kill G2, you pull the trigger a few extra times just to make sure the body is it's dead. It's the double tab. It's the double tab. It's not shout out to all my Zombieland fans. You have to double tap G2. You have to double tap Fnatic. And what scares me is Fnatic have definitely been shot once. And the question is, is week eight the double tap? Because yikes. I mean, we know how much pressure there's on a Fnatic G2 matchup. And obviously, like, we definitely contribute to that because we build up the rivalry on the broadcast. They help us build it up. The fans help build it up because it's a hype rivalry. The downside for Fnatic is this year they have not won a single game. But I think the issue isn't just the fact that they went 0-2 this weekend because mm-hmm. you can make the argument that, okay, they face Rogue, the number one first place team, and then they face G2, the historic rivals that just have the mental edge. It was the way in which Fnatic lost. Oh, man. Where Hilly was 
absolutely running it down with his team. Self-made, also had a pretty horrific yeah. week. In fact, the only person who I felt was in control for both these games was Bwipo and Reckless. And outside of that, like, Nimi, Selfmade, Hilly all had their int moments. And I'm that's my concern. Like, I wouldn't feel bad if it was, like, a hard-fought loss and, like, they almost had it. Which, to be fair, Whippo could have won that rogue game because Finn was losing his ability to tank mm -hmm. for the team. But Fnatic just, I don't know, lost their minds. Like, that game could have been theirs, and they just threw it away. I completely agree. I do want to like pull back on the Hill of Sang train just a little bit because while I agree, this dude has some pretty horrific stats right now. So like, the thing evidence... is, I love Hilly, but I I just no, I agree. So this is the only defense in him because I agree he had a horrible game, but also that draft, this like draft. He was comfort, what was he gonna do? What was he gonna do? He's like one of two reliable CC sources on this entire team, and then like if he doesn't make plays. Well, they probably scale and they're fine. But, like, the only thing Pike can do on that composition is make plays, and there's literally no one there to set him up. And he's against Camille, right? Like, Hilly was going to die a million times that game. Fnatic might have won that game, but Hillisang was not walking out with less than five deaths. I cannot believe he got the first blood in that, no, that, that duel. That was insane. That was the emotional roller coaster of that game, was that as we were casting it, that, that lane was over at level two, and they found a way to win it at level one. Now, immediately, self-made immediately jumped straight in that bot lane and said, nobody's winning lane here today, boys. I'm going to jump right under that tower against the objectively strongest jungle champion in the game right now that you, for some reason, gave up for two random-ass first picks. Anyway, drafting questions aside, I still have a little bit of faith in Hilly. People want to call him an inter after that last performance. I get it because he definitely died a ton, but also he was not set up uh, for success. Good news for Fnatic. If you are a Fnatic fan, compared to everyone else, they have a damn easy schedule. They play Schalke. Now, admittedly, it is God Gilius' Schalke, so brace for impact. Um, they play Excel, and they play SK. So while last week was a I just don't know if that's true anymore. Like, I want to agree, because I know I just like said this, this statement of, I believe that, at least in the League of Legends that I grew up on, that when you get into playoffs, you truly see who are the great teams, because people will just kind of coast through regular split, but I don't necessarily know if that's true in Europe. I haven't had the same amount of time here. But like... Excel are starting to rise up. SK are definitely starting to rise up. Schalke are definitely like on the up and up. Like at this point, I'm like, unless you are facing Origin, you Damn. have a rough schedule. That's brutal. Or, I mean, to be fair, Vitality have also been looking kind of lost. Yeah, and then they take down uh, Mad, Lions. Mad Lions by breaking off Humanoid's legs from a Melitza performance. So here's my thing. The ugly is, is that the top of our table, save for Rogue, look really volatile. Mm -hmm. um, the good is, is that the bottom of our table rise up like the revolution is coming. And the, uh, I don't know. The just, bad? At this point, the bad is, I feel like. Worlds is going to be really bumpy. <laughs> Worlds is going to be a friggin' bumpy ride. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it, ultimately. Um but we can talk more in the playoffs race, I think, after we sit down and talk with Finn here. Um, so why not jump into it? Let's take a chance to talk to the man himself. All right, it is now our distinct pleasure to be joined by none other than uh, professional top laner for Rogue, Finn. Uh, that's, wow. I feel like I, have, I need more titles. Finn, God of Aurelia, um, permanently stuck on weak side top laners because of the evil and mean Freddy122. Hashtag free Finn. Uh, is the uh, is the trash tag that we're going to be pushing this week to get this boy back on the Aurelia. But welcome, Finn. Um, thank you for waking up so early to be here. How's it going? Thank you so much. I am the professional top laner. Uh, 
It feels good. It feels good to be here. Professional Can't top confirm. runner. <laughs> Uh, a bit uh, tired, but I'm ready to, to trash talk. Oh, thank Came God. trash talk. All right, all right. Do we, should we just set you up? Is there anything, anyone in particular you want to pop off on? Because I, I wasn't ready for uh, you to be ready to trash talk. I mean, Shadow is the, is the least in one trick, and he will be exposed. <laughs> so then we got, we got that out of, out of the way already, so we can go next. Oh. <laughs> all right. Okay, out of the gate swinging. Okay. I see how it is. Uh, okay, so Finn, we... We've been wanting to talk to Rogue for a, a while now because obviously the broadcast has coined you guys kind of like the forgotten first place team. You know, there's so mm -hmm. much excitement and hype around the Mad Lions, but you guys are like right there neck and neck with them. Uh, and so I guess I kind of want to open the floor in, is that the, the team's perception? Like, do you guys feel like you aren't being hyped up enough? Because every single time we bring on, for whatever reason, like we'll be asking them about how their day was, what they think the weather was like, and they just start taking shots at Rogue. And the broadcast is always like, wow, everyone thinks that they could beat Rogue for some reason. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I know I've read it as well, some other interviews that was like, oh, I don't think Rogue is going to make worlds, or I think Rogue is uh, the weakest of the best teams. and so and so and so on but i think for us it doesn't really matter what other people think of us we just try to play our own game and i think people might think of us that way because we kind of play very standard in a way that we always look to secure early leads we look to snowball those leads but i don't know what would make other teams not play standard in the same way maybe they think that we falter too much in the late game and we get our leads which is a fair point giving our recent games against <laughs> sk and g2 but um, yeah, uh, I can't say I agree, but I can maybe see where they're coming from. So that's obviously a very tempered answer to be like, you know, fair criticism. And I feel like that's also a, a consistent that when we talk to Rogue, that you guys are, are very humble and it's always just like we're playing our own game. Do you mind kind of like defining what makes a Rogue play style different from a Mad Lions or a G2 hmm. uh, play style? I think our playstyle is not different per se, but maybe how we practice. Because we always try to practice everything that we're gonna play on stage. We're gonna go. We go into every week with a with a concept we wanna practice, and then we maybe fine tune some of the things. But usually, by the end of the week, we kind of know what we're gonna. I mean, okay, but but the start of the week, we kind of know what we want to look to play on the end of the week. So mm. this way, we often in situations in the draft where we know our champions very comfortably and we know exactly what's going to happen in terms of the simulations and so on. So we're never really in a position where we are uncomfortable yet. And I think that's why we have been able to pick up so many of our wins because we have had very solid drafting uh, related to our team's strengths uh, in, in, in a way that we we don't really try that many weird new things. We always know we we play what we know will work, and that's why we have been very consistent. I think in our performance uh, this split. So do you think that that's kind of odd for teams in the LEC? Do you think that for most teams scrimming in the LEC, there is a lot more active experimentation in scrims week to week? Because from what you're saying, it sounds like there's little to no experimentation. Once you guys have figured out what you want to play for the week, you kind of just focus on those X amount of picks or one or two compositions. I mean, it's not like we don't experiment because we have a lot of players that really want to play a lot of different stuff. But it became a big problem last split for us that we were just running around and trying different things the whole week. And then by the end, like maybe we had one plan on Thursday and then on Friday when we played, we had like a completely different overhaul of the draft and we wanted to try something else. <laughs> and this would uh, 
after resulted in a lot of chaotic long long draft meetings that didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, Are there, so we've tried to tune it down. Uh, that's what, that's what I want to say. Are there concerns though that if if Rogue kind of stick with a drafting style or a plan for the teams that they're facing, that your guys' scrims get leaked? Because then if if you're not pivoting so much on the day, uh, isn't there a chance that your opponents could hear exactly what you guys are going to do and that makes you predictable? Hmm. Uh, it's possible, but it's not like we have like one style. We have uh, a lot of set of styles that we, we try to, to work around with, but maybe our, our range of different champions that we will play is, is different, so it's something that we need to pay attention to, obviously, and we need to choose our screen partners well. Because if we would get leaked, it would... I mean, I think every team would get hurt if they, the screams got leaked. Mm -hmm. But um, us included, yeah. When you say uh, style, and obviously, I don't want you to leak anything if you don't want to, <laughs> but is it like, um, is it as simple as, okay, this game we're going to play around Larson, or this game we're playing around early Drakes, or this game we're playing around Hansama bot, and you guys have just like, let's say, three different compositions that are a Hansama bot-focused uh, comp, or three compositions that are a early Drake stacking comp. Is that kind of how you guys uh, select from your playbook, or is it more complicated than that? Mm, I would say it's way more complicated because usually when the draft starts, we, we try to see what champions we can get. And then we're often going to first pick one champion, right? And then we will see what the enemy does. And then we try to adjust our other champion picks accordingly to kind of fit. So imagine if we would first pick Aphelios, which we have been doing sometimes. Uh, then we want to obviously make sure that Aphelios can do well. And we want to follow that up with a team that can play for Aphelios. And making sure the enemy doesn't get the champions that do well into Aphelios. For example, uh, a GP makes Aphelios really hard, mm. really game. Um, a GP makes Aphelios game really hard to play because in team fights, GPS presses his ult on Aphelios and throws out barrels, and Aphelios can't really walk or hit as, as he wants because he gets like outspaced. So you need to like be careful of picking a top lane matchup where GP is really free for them in the top laner and so on and so on. That's like one example. So. Is there ever an issue then where, because uh, the thing is, is kind of thinking over the course of our league, you know, you have the Misfits, you have Mad Lions, Fnatic, G2, they'll pull out some of these weirder picks, um, whereas I think like the strangest pick that you guys have really shown has been Larson's Echo in the mid lane, otherwise it, it's fairly standard. And don't forget Not the my Allowi. Allowi. It was the Allowi. Oh, that's it was true. the Allowi in the top lane. <laughs> I stand corrected. We can talk more about that game especially too when we talk about it. I think responsibility for that one. <laughs> you have to, we, ha I had been scouting your solo queue for so long and I was like, I finally have an Alawi player. Like Finn's gonna pull out the Alawi, and in Spring Split, Dracos and I talked about like he's got an Alawi pocket pick. He's been training it, and then yeah. you never pulled it out in Spring. And so when yeah. you finally pulled out in Summer, I don't know if you listened back to the game. I lost my shit. Yeah, I did. She literally yeah. didn't, she didn't talk for three minutes because <clears throat> she had to look up all her old Alawi notes, and she just like left oh me God. out to dry so she could look up everything that she had from like every Alawi player from every minor region across the world that she interviewed to mm -hmm. talk to about the pick. So you have no idea, Finn. Um, I actually interviewed people <laughs> in preparation for your allowing wow i'm honored <laughs> <laughs> but uh it, it actually came from I, I watched a lot of lck and lpl and uh, i think at the time Ixu was doing super well over in the lck and now he's struggling quite a bit but i think in spring he was performing really well on his like cilian top and his allowing top uh so i i, I just tried him out because i thought if this guy can just draw allowing bands every game the champion must be strong no you yeah. can't just 
because every team was legit banning it one, two, three on like blue and red side against him. And I was like, how is that possible? It's just Lava, it's just a cheesy counterpick champion. So I had to spam it and find out what the fuss was all about. And it gave me kind of a good understanding about how the champion is supposed to be drafted. Uh, I think other teams were just a bit maybe too scared of him, but it's for sure a strong pick uh, in the right conditions. Will we be seeing more Alawi? Do you want to? Can you tell us what the conditions are for Alawi? I feel like it's when champions try to dive into the back line that Alawi yeah, yeah, just yeah. becomes super powerful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when enemy has a lot of champions, it just needs to run in. So it's really smart to pair Alawi with like a long range hyper carry that like enemy can't really ignore. A Caitlyn or a Senna, for example, that enemies can't really ignore when they're just spitting on you from long range. So they need to run in and dive her so uh, they can stop her. But then it always there with like 20 tentacles set up, so it's really hard for the enemy. So I tell think that's me the best way to play her. If this composition would work, Senna, Kench, Alawi. Yeah, it sounds nice. Throw one on his ear. <laughs> Wait a minute. Throw in anything. Throw in Ivern. Throw in As we've learned, just throwing Ivern into compositions not too bad. Um, Damn it, we got off topic with the Alawi thing. What were we, what were we, we had a thing before this, practice. Uh, I was asking him about oh. creative picks and the fact Ooh, that Rogue yes. aren't necessarily the team that are pushing creative picks. I also wanted to ask you specifically as a follow-up about drafting and specifically, so you talked about first pick Aphelios and how you kind of like, oh, we're going to draft around Aphelios. Um, is, what do you do as a composition when, let's say, your red side, when enemy team has first picked something? Are you immediately then, is the inverse of that, do you spend a lot of time just responding to what the enemy team does? Like, if they pick first first pick Aphelios and you're, like, red side, do you immediately start to respond to that pick? Or do you guys have other situations where you build compositions not around your first picks in the draft, where you don't adjust <clears throat> to kind of what you have gotten after first ban? If you're drafting more for yourself than trying yeah. to yeah. counter what the opponent's <clears throat> doing. I mean, I think the most predictable pick in the entire game is the blue side the first pick. So usually you're able to have a limited amount of champions that you don't think anyone will pick uh, in this spot in the draft. So it's way easier to find a lot of different simulations against this, uh, like whatever they would first pick. The more the draft unveils, the harder it is to predict, right? But the blue side first pick is usually pretty easy to predict uh, considering the bans. So it's actually something that you can consi consistently prepare for in terms of drafts. And uh, you can always, it's easy because you can think up beforehand how you want to approach the draft when you pick this champion or this champion. Um, it's when the, dra when the draft becomes hard, it's way later, when uh, it becomes so many different scenarios that you can't really prepare for all of them. But I think when it comes to the blue side first pick, you can at least often prepare for what they have. So. If you know, if you think enemy will first pick X, you can kind of prepare I Z or etc. Mm -hmm. etc. Et that makes a lot of sense. Um, kind of shifting <clears throat> more towards the what's ahead of you and kind of ambitions for the team. Looking away from draft now, um, we've talked a little bit about how other teams perceive you, how other teams maybe underrate you a little bit. But I want to talk specifically about some of your mashup versus top teams. Now, you guys currently the split are O2 versus G2. Your 0-1 versus Mad Lions, you get a chance to play them again this week. But I want to know, especially when we look towards best of five and the fact that you're pretty much guaranteed to play some of these teams in best of five, like why yeah. have you guys struggled against teams like G2 and Mad Lions? Now, you've beaten Fnatic twice this split, but in the past I would have said um, you struggle against teams like Fnatic, so good on you for stepping up in that that area. But like, what is it about G2 Mad specifically that make them so difficult for, for you guys as a five <clears> to beat? I just think G2 is in our head too much. Uh, we're a bit too 
I remember our game against them very clearly, the last one, that we were just... We're usually quite quite uh, calm and collected when we play, and we usually don't become that stressed out. But when we play against G2, we usually became become like our worst enemy ourselves, that we just shout and we, we try to make so much happen, and we just run around like chickens. And I don't know what they're doing to, to, to pull the strings to make us do this, but I think they just have a, a pretty good mental edge against us. We have a bit of a mental block against them, specifically. Um, historically as well. And uh, as, a, as for Mad, I think it's a bit different. I think we only played them once and it was a bit of a weird game because of the draft. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how the, our next game against Mad will be because I don't think it will be uh, as similar as the last one. I think we have a pretty good chance of beating them. Um, but yeah, G2, I think we struggle a lot against. And we, if we will play them, we need, if we have to play them in playoffs, which we probably have to do one day or another, uh, we need to find a way to overcome this. <laughs> Where do you think that, that uh, pressure comes from? Um, when talking to Yamato, he would always say that when you play Fnatic, uh, it's kind of like a, a different beast, obviously talking about like the old Fnatic, not necessarily the current mm -hmm. iteration of Fnatic. Is that kind of the same for G2? Is it just like you can't turn nameplates off or is it the pressure of I need to finally prove myself or is it the pressure that it's just hard to figure out what the, the individual players are playing? Like, what would you say kind of makes Rogue not necessarily crack under the pressure, but uh, tense up when they face G2? Well, I think historically it made sense because they were always like the best team and they were always playing really fast and really good with Fog of War. So it was hard to know what they were doing. So you were kind of second guessing yourself all the time. But um, as of now, it doesn't really make sense that we, we behave in the same way because I don't think they're playing as well as they did in the past. Uh, especially in the game against us, we really should have won it because we were just so ahead. But um, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what made... I think it's the, the combination of all of the, the factors together um, that you, you, you really want to prove that you can beat them. You really want to... Uh, May, you you like you want to win the game so hard that you kind of skip the step towards winning. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way to explain it. Does it is it feel better or worse knowing that losing to G two is entirely like on not maybe not entirely but a lot on your guys and your mental. Does that feel like an easier thing to overcome than let's say like G two are just better mechanically or G two are just smarter? Does it does it feel good or bad that like you can beat G2, or at least you believe you can beat G2 if you just overcome this this mental block. Hmm. I think last year when they were like by far the best team in Europe, it was like, okay, maybe we can't beat G2, but we can be second place. <laughs> but now when they are struggling, it feels really bad that we're not even, even able to beat them when they're like at their weakest point. So I would say it feels pretty bad uh, mm -hmm. to not being able to pick up the victory, especially the last time. So let's kind of look ahead at uh, playoffs in Rogue in a best of five. Um, there's always a conversation on broadcast and kind of in the community that certain teams will be better in best of fives or weaker in best of fives. It sounds like you'll be pretty much on the fence that Rogue would be much stronger in best of fives because of your guys' preparation, say for maybe mm -hmm. a, a G2. Is there... Any specific strategy uh, that you guys take into best of five for you guys? Are you looking at every single best of five where you're going to design a strategy completely to counter your opponent? We could see very different iterations of Rogue from series to series. Or do you think it's just go in every single game, play our best game, which is calculated, uh, textbook, strong early game, and then close out from there? 
I think uh, I think for us we should focus more on what we can do than what the enemy can do. We always try to. I think we're really good scouting. Uh, our analyst do, is doing a lot of good work, and our coaches is kind of a good idea where they want to push us in what direction we want to to go. But then it's more of the on the players to kind of make it happen. While the the coaches give us like the foundation, we try to find out what you actually want to do in terms of drafting and in terms of uh, champion picks and play style. But usually we kind of go with our don't grief mindset that we <laughs> we don't grief and uh, usually we're able to pick up victories. Uh, because if, if you grief a lot, then it becomes harder to, to have consi consistent practice and it's harder to 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 just know what's, what's going wrong, you know, if you just grief. So yeah. simple, so succinct. And I'm glad you said it. I think a lot. some people will be like, well, of course you don't grieve. But I think that's really important because there are a lot of teams who just kind of take the piss when it comes to... There uh, are a lot of scrims. teams that grieve. <laughs> a lot of griefers. We, 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 okay, I'm not saying that we are innocent and we don't grieve, but we, we at least try to not grieve. I, I know some teams just give in to the grief and just become a part of it. Yeah, I remember the old, the old days of unicorns of love and people talking about just how they were the absolute worst scrim partners because they would just run it down they would yeah they would bet everything on like a 5v5 at like level three and it was just yeah. just the worst thing to play against and maybe it was good yeah. for uol they were obviously a very successful team but i've, I've heard non-stop like just now that they're not here i feel like i can throw them under the bus for <laughs> similar rumors about some of the current teams in the league as well but unicorns were always the clear example back in the day when i was scrimming over in china watching lpl scrims you want to talk about griefing that shit was <laughs> wild they'd be Never. like within as soon as you saw the jungler on the opposite side of the map we used to call them the 500 units bot lane because if they were within five 500 units of you and they saw saw any sign of jungler opposite side they're flashing igniting all inning no matter what the matchup is it was like what the <laughs> is happening right now i remember those days i mean i kind of really would like to watch lpl screams or scream lpl teams it's like my 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 goal when i go to worlds is to to play against like the fpx the jdg the the top esports it just seems so fun how they play the game it just seems like they're way more fun playing the game at least why do you uh why do you this is a bit of a trap question. Why do you not have fun playing the game right now? I mean, we have fun, but because uh, winning is fun, right? <laughs> but especially me, I think I've taken a bit of a role where I am very much not allowed to grief. <laughs> uh, because I, I'm, I'm playing a lot of uh, the, mm -hmm. the Warn and the GP. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And your role is kind of to, to, to take grief. a beating. And... Uh, if enemy has, I, I remember one game clearly where I was playing Renekton against Odomnes Urgot and they had Twisted Fate. And I was like, I was telling myself, don't de in, don't start a trade. Because if I in against Urgot and TF, I, I know he could just drop midway and his ultimate top. So I was just farming with Q, going like 30 CS behind, and just not trading at all because I know I'd win the game this way. But it's uh, so, sometimes for me, it's hard to restrain myself. And it's something that I've really been working on this split because. I don't want to let my team down by just playing the way uh, I want to play, just to, to, to trade a lot more. For example, like I think I'm similar to Bwipo in that way, that I really like to fight. That's like my natural instinct when I play. But sometimes you really need to, to take a step back. And yeah, that's the cur I feel like the toppling curse is that there's just going to be times in your career where your mechanical ability is like everything and you're playing friggin' split push matchups, right? Like all day and it's all decided on a single trade and then there's going to be entire 
seasons, years, where it's literally just like do as little as humanly possible. The only thing you can be right now on this Orn if you push too hard is a liability for the team. So just. I, mean, I, re- I remember very clearly this offseason because I remember last splits we had a lot of, at least summer 2019 and spring 2020, I had a lot of problems with our drafting because I could not play GP. My GP was completely horrible. Uh, and you can see that in our stats because we were banning GP almost every game uh, mm-hmm. in spring 2020 and summer 2019. So I remember this offseason, I played like 100 GP games in a row almost uh, just to be able to play the champion. Honestly, I you think... poor soul. Jesus, you do. You are an absolute uh, uh, professional. <laughs> I don't know how you got through that, but like good on you. And I think just playing, playing the champion gives you a different mindset because the champion requires you to play differently. It's not like you can just dash in on the enemy champions because you want to fight. You need to sit on top of your barrels and if enemy walks up too far then you can trade him but if they don't you need to wait and i think that's actually a good advice if anyone would like to to become better and more controlled you spam gp because the champion forces you to play in a way that you can't just be stupid i have a a theory that especially like one tricks like if you're trying to scout talent that you find specific one tricks because specific champions like you're saying kind of teach you Uh, different philosophies about how you want to trade and how you want to play the game. Obviously, you have a reputation of being an Aurelia and a Kled uh, player, which are (laughs) very aggressive. So can you... Because I think you you, uh, broached a topic that is quite interesting there, where you're like, it's not so much that you're a weak side top laner, but you're a very... patient top laner you know if you're up there just restraining yourself and being like i have or to be try- controlled trying to be a patient top <laughs> laner right like that's the goal can you can you walk me through kind of the process of what do you think made you a poor gp player uh some of the uh traits that you needed to learn and then what your mm-hmm. responsibility now is kind of to your team because you, you've kind of tapped it but i'd like a a more full in-depth yeah. answer i mean just just like as a base that I was just, going, when I was going pro, I was a Kled player, Kled one trick. And the champion's philosophy is don't back down. When you demount, you need to run back in to, to continue fighting or you will probably die even harder. So this was the emotional that I got rid of. Because uh, it's the same when you play like Aatrox and you have one million life steal, you need to keep fighting to, to fight up and heal up. But uh, I think that was my, my, my key weakness that I, I was kind of bad at just letting a fight go. When I saw a fight happening, I needed to, to join in and fight till the death. Um, but obviously, when you play GP and you play, I mean, similar to range top laners, that you you, you don't want to trade HP with the opponent. You want to trade 100 for zero, uh, the trades. Like if you play Kennen or if you play a GP in a sense, but not really. But if you play Kennen, Jace, uh, all these range top laners, if you trade equal it's a bad trade for you because you you're don't have a range top laner sustain on a lot of exactly range exactly because uh, when you play jason cannon you you want to take a lot of small advantages and make it into a big one but for example when you play a melee all-in champion you want to take a massive good trade and that's your advantage you get one good trade off not just 50 small good trades in a row and that's kind of what you need to play for it requires a different mindset so in a meta where it feels like because the souls and the barons and the monster objectives are so powerful that it's more of a team fight oriented meta, um, mm-hmm. obviously your responsibility is going to change depending on what champion you're on. If you're on a gangplank versus an Orn, but mm-hmm. are you training where, okay, 
I'm on Orn, this is our composition, and you know exactly what your job is in that comp? Or is it just you kind of have an instinct or a feel when I'm in Orn and I see the enemy group up, you know, that's my my big ticket to look for the Orn ultimate? Or is it always like, I'm here for Hansama, I'm here for Larson, I'm here to zone this guy? Mm, I don't think it's that simple that I'm just here for one job. I think if you think like that, you often become worse because you focus too much on what you need to do and you don't really see the opportunities as well. For example, you don't see if the enemies are splitting up that you can look for an Ornult or if they're drinking bad pathing or you're hugging a wall too much that you can flash eat them, etc, uh, etc. Et so, for example, if I would be on an Orn, I know that I'm probably not getting a lot of help from a jungler. Although not impossible because Orn has a lot of good gank set up. So it's not bad to, to give him a gank once or twice, but you just need to make, make the most out of what you have and uh, know that if you trade too much, you won't be getting any help from your team, so you're probably going to be left to die. Um, and as for team fights, I would say you just be at the, at the right place at the right time and you've done a big part of your job and the rest is just how you make, uh, how, how you play it out. So in a game, let's say, for example, because I understand that it can be very nuanced, but like, are you guys constantly communicating about what you need to be doing in fights? Like, let's say Hansama's really fed. Do you like look at that? You go, hey, Hansama has three kills. Uh, you know, he's got two items early. Now, do you say to your team, hey, I'm just going to try to protect Hansama? Is it that communicated? Or if like you're really fed, do you try to get the team to play <clears> around you? How does the way that your team fights and team fights and communicates kind of how you're going to win a fight, how does that change depending on, on game state? Uh, I mean, a, a classic uh, example of our comps would be like Larson saying, guys, I have three items this year. Just don't grief and I'll carry. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Larson was and, the uh, hand puppet. And, 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 and me and Vander is like, okay, we don't grief. Uh, <laughs> usually we just play front to back if this happens and it's very comfortable for us. I think this is a song we're quite comfortable in. Uh, usually we have one strong carry that we can play around and I think that's what we're good at. We're good at uh, giving our carries the tools to carry and not going too deep or going too passive. So in... Uh Watching Rogue in the past and kind of now watching Rogue, and obviously there are big meta changes, something that I felt that your team has always been strong at, and I'm curious kind of who is responsible for this, is you guys were really good at paying attention to waves, especially in mid-game, and then finding picks when opponents would go to farm their waves. Like, it felt like in spring, what you guys would do is create massive pockets of fog of war, push lanes and then when enemy carries would go to pick up the farm that you guys would be sitting in the fog of war and then find a pick and then translate it entirely into an objective and i kind of heard rumors that vander was a, a big part of that and that he was really communicating how to catch people off but in terms of again comms in the game are you guys just talking about okay we're setting up for this team fight or are you guys actually communicating what you think your opponent's going to do and where to catch them off guard or is it more we're setting up for this, Larson saying, I'm really strong, I have three items, like, let's just play f play for me. Like, which one is it? I mean, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, and I'm going to say it's like Hansama that's really good at, especially these picks uh, on side lanes, that he's very good at knowing how the enemy will think according to waves and knowing how to play with Fog of War. Because yeah, I've been hearing stories that he was like being... Uh, Okay, it's, it's, not, it's like uh, when he was in Misfits, they had a really strict coaching style, I think. And he was being very, like, shaped in he was in he had to play because mm -hmm. naturally, I think Hazam is a very chaotic player. He likes to play really aggressive in the laning phase. 
but he was learning a lot about how tempo works and I think he's brought a lot of that to our team because uh, he's always reminding us about the tempo of the game, who has tempo, what can we do with our tempo and that's kind of how we play right now that when we have tempo we can make a lot of good plays but when we have tempo we need to respect them and we need to def maybe defend the play and that's kind of how we just balance back and forth between Oh, sorry. <laughs> between def between defending and uh, attacking, uh, in accordance to who has tempo. How does your team define tempo? Ooh. Well, it's uh, who has the first step on the map, pretty much. Like who 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 has the first uh, action? Do you feel that like chess. is uh, is because of who has numbers advantage, who got faster reset, who has better items? Y usually resets. Uh, if you walk out of the map faster and enemy still needs the base, or if you walk out of the map and enemy still doesn't have wards on their support, for example, then you have tempo. Because uh, unless the enemy finds a quick pick, then yeah. Nice. You you will be able to set up. That was the most succinct answer to tempo I've heard in a long time. We ask this question a lot to <laughs> yeah, different teams and it, players, and we get vastly different it's, answers. It's one yeah, of those, I mean, it's okay, a, such this, a this is the, in League of Legends, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, tempo is usually like the the simple definition of tempo is who has the who is first on the map. I like the but, simple definition. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I mean, obviously, this word has way more depth <laughs> and uh, a lot of a lot of different situations. It's hard to define who has tempo. Maybe tempo is <laughs> even, but um, for example, if if both are on the same time of the map, but one team still needs to base, then it's obviously a huge disadvantage because the enemy is still on the map. And they still need to base, and they still need to walk out on the map again. Then they're very behind the tempo. So Finn, I want to shift conversation now away from Rogue as a team and kind of more back to the state of the league and kind of what you guys are up against. Because um, I feel like I've learned a ton about how you guys function, and now I'm excited to see how it's going to work specifically against Mad Lions. Now, all things considered, I would say your guys' schedule is. Well, you know, it's not too bad. You play Vitality, you play Mad Lions, you play OG. Given OG's struggle, this feels like one of the more favorable schedules of any of the team in the final week. But I do want to specifically ask about this Mad Lions matchup because last time, as you said, it was the Alawi, it was the Echo. But while you guys were pulling out crazy picks, they were also pulling out Ivern uh, with this, like, Senna healing, shielding nonsense. So um, do you feel like the last match gave us a good indication of what to expect from Mad Lions versus Rogue, or do you just write that one off and say, like, we'll go next for this one? Well, actually, I remember our Mad Lions game quite well because, you know, I said before that, I think first pick is the most predictable mm -hmm. part of the game. I think Mad Lions was one of the first teams that started just first picking their mid laner just to get a strong mid matchup. They just, I remember they first picked us here, uh, and it was actually something we were not very ready for. Uh, and I think they actually hard out drafted us that game. Um, so <clears throat> kudos to them. I think if we have better preparation leading up to the match, it would look very different. Because uh, obviously, I think draft plays a big, big role in what team will win, uh, especially in this meta. Uh, so while it was a very, very good showing from them, and I think they played super well. Uh, I think we, we kind of shot ourselves in the foot in draft, especially with the Alawi <laughs> pick as well. It was like the final lane in the coffin. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun fun game to watch for sure. Because I think both teams really, really, really want to win it. I f would love your opinion on this. I feel like 
mad lions have almost stalled out a little bit and some of the things that made them strong like don't get me wrong they're still a very good team and they still play their style and have good players individually but it felt like one of the edges that they had was these very creative drafts and we've been on the same meta for so long that they almost no longer you know like they don't have the sin of wukong advantage anymore yeah. they have the sona lux but now everyone's just banning sona it it feels like there's there's no other like weird aces that they can pull out on this patch because it just hasn't diversified enough you know maybe i'm wrong maybe they come out with like a karthus zed karthus karma bot bs or something like that but i don't feel like there's another scenario where you get uh you know the weird wonky trick card if you will in, in draft phase again mm, and that's what that's why it could be scary to be like one of these teams that rely on a lot of the the weird picks that you bring out that your enemy doesn't really know what you're gonna play but if you can't find these weird advantages in draft, it becomes harder for you to play. Uh, so therefore, I think having a, having a more um, consistent drafting uh, technique or not technique. I mean, um, <clears throat> I mean a way of drafting. Mm -hmm. I think it gives you better consistency over, especially when the meta stay like this. Uh, I don't. I don't think the meta stay actually. I think it's been changing quite a bit. For example, Caitlyn just popped that out of nowhere. She got like 280 and 5 movement speed and now she's like the most broken in the carry or something. She had been buffed for know. a long time. I'm just going to say that yeah. pro players were a bit yeah. behind the ball on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but as I said, I don't know. With the lines. It's hard to, to know what they're going to play, but it's kind of also if you know what you will play and you have uh, a strong base set up to whatever they can play, I think you're in a good spot. So it just sounds like generally you're less worried about curveballs coming in from mad lions this time around because i mean i would have like you talk about getting out drafted and it just feels like so much of what mad lions did was crazy in that game obviously with the ivern coming out but it also felt like you guys went in a completely different direction with like the echo alawi um it felt like the first and only yeah. time i saw you guys draft a composition that could be considered like i guess one three one with echo alawi um so do we like, do we see any kind of that experimentation from you guys or after the last game is it just going to be like you guys are going to play what you're comfortable with you guys are going to play what we know you for which is sadly for you my friend a little gp orn on the top side you know a carry to play around neither bot or mid <laughs> yeah um mate, i had a really good thought but now i lost it but yeah <laughs> uh that sucks uh yeah i think it's not like we're gonna play this for sure but we we're gonna play what we know i think we're gonna go into the i mean we go into every week just practicing what we think is gonna get us the victory we don't go into a week practicing something that could be like that that that's really weird because uh, you you can't like just in in our scream atmosphere you can't just lock whatever you want randomly uh it's kind of you kind of need to, to bring it up beforehand <laughs> and get everyone on the team on the same page so you know what you're gonna pick uh-huh uh-huh uh, i imagine it's a bit harder to sell people on the alawi this time around even if you're really feeling it I mean, some people were really sold in the team. Some people were not. <laughs> uh, especially Freddy hates Alawi, but I, I won't. I, I will give him that one. So uh, I have to ask before we let you go: the lane swap. Yeah. How long did that mm -hmm. take you guys to plan? And will we ever see the lane swap again? <clears throat> the lane swap is probably the saddest part. Uh, I mean, the, sa the saddest reality that we lost the lane swap game because, in our in our mind, the lane swap was like a free game. <laughs> Because we would get so ahead usually, and I, 
I mean, the name swap, I think, came out of the... Because we were screaming a lot with Zion or something, and whenever Zion was in the game, it was really annoying to, to swap against him because he would just 1v2, clear the wave, and just walk out. Because mm -hmm. he has, like, the Bamisinder, the W, the Q, and it's hard to dive him because he's so tanky. And with his passive as well, we kind of thought that what if we just let him take two camps and he will we'll, we'll sacrifice him on the first dive, but he'll get the wave. And the enemy top lane won't get anything, so... We'll probably get ahead from that, and the plates doesn't really matter too much. And we kind of just evolved it from there on and there on that we, the more we played, the more we realized, and we became like this group project, I guess, that we all became very passionate about in the <laughs> team. And we had like these draft meetings where we sat on a League of Legends map, and we we're like, okay, if you go here, I go here, and then we all walk here at like 125, and yada yada yada. It was very fun planning out, playing this out, and it's something that we for sure will bring out again when people get a bit too comfortable around us. <laughs> Maybe in a best of five, who knows? I like the confidence, I like the mix-ups. I love also that I'm hearing you guys having fun, something that you talked about coming that you see in the LPL. I like that you guys were having fun and kind of banding together around this, this single strategy. Last question before we let you go. Six teams are making playoffs, Finn. Yeah. You don't have to give me any particular order. You don't have to give me final standings. Mad Lions, Rogue, who are the other four teams making playoffs in the LEC? Let's see. Mad, Rogue, Fnatic, G2, uh, SK, and... Ah, that's the hard one. Schalke. Schalke, all right, let's go. <laughs> that's a meme and I love it. Respect, respect to that. Rest in peace, Origin. Rest in peace, Excel, Misfits, Vitality. Well, Vitality. I, I, don't have, I don't have the schedules in front of me right now. If I had the schedules in front of me right now, I could maybe make a better prediction but i feel like shalke is not that bad of a team shalke face fanatic vitality and mad lions oh sh <laughs> <laughs> excel face origin fanatic and g2 and vitality face you shalke and misfits i'll give to shalke I love it. I respect it. Finn, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, good luck in your scrims this week, man. I hope we get to see some insanity from you. If it is orange EP, I'll understand. I'll know it's for the team. But all I'm saying, Freddy. Give me Chogath. Freddy, Chogath, good. Scion, also better. More in the direction of things that I think are interesting. But just, just think about that Aurelia. Those are some strong mid-game buffs, Freddy. Entire rogue lineup. Play around, play around please, top Freddy. side. Please, please, Freddy. Give me <laughs> Cled. For the fans. Give him the Cled. All right, Frostgren, I'm not going to lie. Finn definitely snuffed a lot of teams there in his top six. <laughs> exactly four, because that's how many you have to, mandatorily. But he believes in the Schalke dream. So this is where I want to start first, because you were building up Schalke before we started our interview with him, before we talked to him. How alive is the Schalke dream for you? Like, like forget, can they make playoffs? Right now, do you think Schalke is a top six team in the league? Uh, Yes. Absolutely. And that's the thing, though. Even if they don't make playoffs, I still believe that Schalke deserve to make playoffs. And that's what's so unfortunate. Um, I think what makes Schalke really strong is obviously the individual performances, but the fact that they have a really simplified play style and they just play it every single time. Again, we said it on broadcast. I'm going to say it here. I'm going to say it until I start seeing Reddit comments talking about it because then I will know it has imprinted into your brain. Dreams is so underrated. Dreams is really, really this, good. This is the Church of Dreams. This You've is the, Church of, the Dreams. Church of God Gilius. I respect it. But if God, if he's God Gilius, dreams, dreams is Jesus Christ. This man is dying for sins left and right. He is making plays. This is a man you need to keep your eye. I love Dreams on a Playmaker. He's even the, on Tom Kench. He might be on, the best Tom Kench. over the wall into the base across two games. Every Tom Kench game he's had that I've watched this season, he has flashed over the enemy base wall to cue somebody. 
And I can respect that because when Hillisang is down, someone has to rise up into the aggressive, questionable playmaker category, and it is absolutely dreams. I feel like the Yumi meta really hurt dreams. Uh, I feel like now that we're in this Nautilus Tom Kench zone, his Alistar also very nice. Um, big dreams fan. I was, thought he was good on SK. He's definitely uh, still good on Shalka here. And now you just have like the confidence of God Gilius to push this team forward. So yeah, I, I really like what I'm, I'm seeing from Shalka because I think it's, you know, it's simple League of Legends. But at that point, most of our teams can't play simple League of Legends. So I'll take it. Of course, if you are a Shalka fan, um, they need to win every game. They, they yeah. Uh, they also don't win any of the head-to-head -head tiebreakers right now, which means that the uh, the miracle run is is pretty difficult. You have an incredibly hard strength schedule. Um, Fanatic, Vitality, and Mad Lions. Yeah. So this is this is this is really hard. Like obviously, Vitality is the easiest of those opponents, but even even a potentially weak Fnatic is still an opponent that I think can just take games off you, even when they're just doing whatever they feel like. Um, I think the nice thing that they have going for them is right now, the two best performing members of Fnatic are Bwipo and Reckless. Mm -hmm. And I think Odawamne, a strong top laner that can probably neutralize or hang even with Bwipo. He's not just going to get blasted in lane. Um, obviously... Neon versus Reckless. I think Reckless is still the best AD carry in the league. Uh, but Dreams might be able to even out that matchup depending on what Hilly is drafting. Yo, that match, someone's dying in lane in that matchup. <laughs> there is no way we make it through that lane without a kill. Yeah. You can put both supports on. Somehow mirror blind Tom Kenches and we will find a way to all in at level two. And then Abba is also having like a really good last two weeks. Um, I think his Azir performances have been really... His Zoe is so good. Or at least, like, uh, so Ender, huge Zoe player. And I know that uh, Neon, I think, got Pog, Kia Pog of that game. He was playing Sin Up. Go back and watch that game. Like, again, Neon was doing some cool things sometimes with the ultimate. But basically, he was just walking around, picking up, like, the last hits on people and stacking his KDA. Abba was playing out of his mind on that Zoe in really tough and difficult situations. And was just, like destroying kids ah i've never seen a zoe performance that strong in a very long time so i actually think abadage well, zoe watch out for that one it's hype too because this champion gets picked constantly in the lec and it has an abysmal, and looks like garbage abysmal win rate. i think it's one two or three games across like the the 10 or 11 games that it's been picked in so yeah it, it pretty consistently looks like garbage i get why teams pick it i'm never excited to see it but when a player can make it work it's always hype and no matter how much people hate the champion it is good to see it work and Abadage leaving his lane, Abadage roaming is is such a cool the evolution of this guy is so cool to watch. Because remember, this is the guy who we talked about when he first came to split that his biggest enemy was the enemy tier one tower. But that was because he was trying to make plays, and then obviously misexecution was an issue. But if you think about how many times he died to the tower, it'd because he'd be on like the Yasuo and he'd like overshoot and then take two tower shots and just like automatically. Yeah, or lose go back the in when he had no reason to go back in, right? But so to see him a little bit more tempered, but still making flashy plays, but still, you know, really making an impact on the map, I think is is cool development. And it's I would always rather have a player that starts out an intern and then becomes a massive playmaker than a player who's just going to like... Never gonna, be a he's playmaker. Gonna, he's going to chill. He's going to scale. Not saying names. The thing was, is that everyone had a name flash in, and I guarantee you it was all the same name. You really? I was going to say there's at least like five different names that probably appeared in people's heads there. <laughs> I know which one it was for me. I know which one it was for you yeah. and me. Yeah. <laughs> unspoken someone will make gross assumptions and we'll get flamed for it and that's that'll all come Please, full circle put it in the youtube comments or the reddit comments which mid laner flashed through your mind we're gonna take a poll 
who popped in your mind when we said doing nothing and scaling? Ah, that's great. Um, the other big questions to me are, does Fnatic make it? Because he just he just put Fnatic on that freaking list. Fnatic makes it. They make it in like 80-something percent of scenarios. Even if they have an abysmal week, they've padded themselves so much. Things would have to go like so wrong There's for Fnatic seven, not to make eight. it. I mean, the thing is, is that if in order for the Schalke dream to be possible, the Fnatic, like, the Fnatic dream might have to die. You're asking fans to choose between God, Gilius, and Reckless. That's a tough choice. The scary thing is, I still think that if you're talking about who's actually on the chopping block, it's Origin. I mean, I didn't. Origin aren't on the list. They're on a fence list. They're not on my list. Like, that's the sad thing. Is yep. the Origin of... They're on four lost streak. Because that's the thing. They're on the chopping block. And if it actually comes down to a situation where Fnatic, like, squeak into playoffs, it's probably... If anyone squeaks into playoffs, it's because they killed Origin. If Excel are making it, if Schalke are making it, I mean, if Fnatic are making it, you're you're killing Origin. I mean, I think I think Origin are already dead. Like I think that's rough. But like you saw that tweet from Alfari oh, after that, that game. Oh, that was so brutal. And that's just to me that's that's boom. That's mental boom. And like, may, like obviously they we talked to Martin at the start of the season about like the staff and the setups they've got, and it all seems very nice. But like, if you're in the headspace where you lose those games and you're like, I'm really tired of not making worlds and like that's the tweet and that's your mentality coming out of it. Maybe this is wrong. I'm like, I'm obviously projecting a little bit and I don't want to put words in Alvari's mouth. But for me, if I was in that situation, like the fact that I even tweeted that I mean, would mean for me that I don't have faith in the system to turn it around. The fact that Origin are even in this position, I think probably the biggest disappointment and I don't want to like kill Origin before we get into playoffs, but oh my God, it has just been rough to watch. They can't really figure out what they want to play on this meta. They're not team fighting very well. They're picking super weird places to team fight. Alfari and Upset are still performing. They cannot find a, a, a support to assist. Like, Upset doesn't get to do anything because it doesn't matter what support he's standing next to, the lane is lost. Yeah. I'm just... The last two games especially, just the game where they played against Mad Lions and they... Played against, obviously, Sona Lux is really powerful, but the game where they did nothing around bot lane and kind of just let Jack Troll... Why pick Rakan? Into the obvious counter. Why not just play... Why counterpick yourself? I don't know. Probably because they didn't want to play that lane or they thought a jungler could get set up. Like, I don't know what their logic was, but it was very clear. In situations where it's very clear to everyone watching, I always feel like I want to know what the team was thinking. Maybe the team didn't appreciate how strong Sona's Lux was. Like, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but, like... Alfari wins lane every game, fun fact. You don't need to go there to help him do it. Him winning the lane more uh, probably doesn't break the game wide open against the two champions who will outscale you inevitably. Um, maybe if he was, I don't know. I don't know. It was just like really disappointing. And then like the other game where they were just like, oh, we're going to swap. We've, now we've got the Syndra bot lane and we put Nuke Duck on Lucian mid and watching Nuke Duck admittedly due to some jungle attention coming through, not really be able to build any kind of advantage that lane. And then watching Akali just style on everyone. Um just it was bad it was just like it yeah it was it was embarrassing honestly uh they have excel sk and rogue i actually think origin might have one of the toughest schedules i think they do actually and now excel theoretically should be the easy win if they lose that excel game i think that might be it i think that might be lights out and that's the first game that they play so you get like a really good like game two of day one is 
that is a really good taste test. That is like, mm. is the rest of the day just going to be absolute garbage? Because that game could just tilt them off the face of the planet. Well, and so when we look at strength of schedule, of course, we don't talk about perceived team strength. We talk about like wins on the board, right? And objectively, OG uh, have the worst strength or the strongest strength of schedule. They have the hardest schedule overall. Fnatic have the easiest on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's all pretty close together, honestly, because there are no teams that are like 0-10 or no teams that are, you know, 18-0. Uh, it makes it pretty... G2 have the easiest strength of schedule. It's SK Misfits Excel. On paper, technically, because Schalke are so far down, it's Schal like Schalke weighs it out for Fnatic. But yeah, <laughs> if you look at the team's actual strength right now, Schalke kind of screws with the standings a little bit. Every team's like, I wish I could play Origin this week. <laughs> On paper, we have the easier schedule, but Riot, please get Schalke out of my schedule. I do want to talk about... Um, something while we're kind of in this conversation of playoffs that right. um, we talked a little bit about with Finn and it's kind of this idea of teams stalling out and specifically Mad Lions. So there was obviously a ton of hype around Mad Lions. They came in really strong. They had a great middle of the, uh, of the season. And now at the end of the season, they've been dropping some games. They've been looking weaker. It's not the same kind of dominance that we kind of expected. And I had this discussion with uh, Finn in the previous interview where it almost feels like one of the edges that Mad Lions had, which was that really creative drafting. Like it doesn't discount everything else that's still going very well for the team to make them a good team that they've lost because the meta has been so stale. There doesn't seem to be the same amount of creativity. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they come back into this week and like have, again, more picks or more creativity to pull out. But it's like people know about the Sona Lux. People know about the Sona Wukong. People have seen the Pantheon now. Like I don't want to say it's a gimmick, but... You know, there seems to be a lost element or a lost steam, unfortunately, when it's almost like the most important. And I hope mm -hmm. I'm wrong. I hope I get to see more creativity from the team about how they want to like break open. But we've seen when they get kind of like their comfort picks, like we saw the uh, game against Vitality where they had a pretty standard comp. They could have taken the lease in and said they put Shadow on the Trundle. And that was yep. kind of like the one missing thing for me. Uh, and they just got beaten. And so now I'm a little bit in terms of alarm bells, like right before the finish line that Mad Lions kind of gave away all of their secrets yeah i mean i think that's kind of i guess i agree i think it's really difficult to continuously be creative and draft and i think that it is a really big advantage and while a lot of teams will look at it as like kind of cheese i think it's like always something that you want to have in a best of five and it's definitely something you want to have when you look towards worlds is the ability to mix it up to pick up new picks on the fly to adjust to have creative strategies because it's one more than a few European teams a lot. I mean, look at G2, right? Their whole thing was like flexibility and unique picks and being able to do things in the meta that other teams could not or did not identify fast enough. And frankly, with draft being so important, you know, getting an edge, Finn talked about it, if you can just throw off someone's draft and if you just then know your win conditions and you're playing something where the opponent it messed up their drafts so and now their win conditions are messed mm -hmm. up. They don't know your draft very well because of how a pick works. So suddenly they don't really understand what your win conditions are. It gives you an advantage. And it felt like Mad Lions had such a defined play style that if they were given any sort of those advantages, especially for how powerful draft is in the current meta, they just they smacked you with it really hard. Um, so it is a concern. And I do want to flag it a little bit as we approach in this super week and kind of get our last look at Mad Lions before we head into best of fives. Because we... Mad Lions, I think their owner has said it on Twitter this morning, but basically like... We're they, not there yet. Yeah, they appreciate the praise, but until you actually win the championship, like when push comes to shove, you need to show up. And that's why, again, there's so much praise and so much leeway given to the Fanatics and the G2s, possibly to hang themselves at this point, but... Yeah, a little, uh, little too much uh, slack there. Probably cut for both those teams. So the G2 is looking better. Uh, last thing, 
absolute final thing for Oscar to wrap us up. There's two important questions on my mind. One is, in our f- match of the week. What is it? Who wins Mad, Mad Lions versus Rogue? Rogue? <sighs> I want Rogue to win. To prove a point. Well, yeah. yeah. But it's just so... So I think that Larson is better than humanoid, humanoid in the current meta. Because I, I personally prefer Azir over... Oh, it's so hard. Oriana. And I just think that Larson's most recent performance has been stronger than Humanoids. I think that Arome right now is also popping off. And so I think he's stronger than Finn. I think that Inspired is stronger than Shadow on most champions, save for the Lee Sin. And I think that... Uh, Karzi and um, Kaiser are stronger than Hansama and Vander, but like it's so close. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like Rogue will not be caught off again in draft, and I feel like they sh- should win. But my theory is that Mad Lions will find something spicy and that they'll try it. I don't know if it'll work, but I almost guarantee we're going to get something spicy in the final. Week. I don't know if it's going to be actually a spicy pick or if we're actually just going to see Mad Lions brute force break because I do think that pound for pound talent wise, if they're in their best form, that Mad Lions are stronger individual players. Um, but right now, I don't see that. And so if my assumption is, is that I, I think Mad Lions have run out of steam, that they're not going to find a spicy pick because they've been kind of discovered and that you don't have the individual players playing at their peak, then I'm like, there's nothing to stop Rogue here. We will not have another situation where they have to play in a Lowy Echo. But that said, I also think that Rogue is like, has a pretty clear blueprint where you're banning Azir, you're banning Oriana, you're like bl- banning Larson left, right, and center. And you're like, go ahead, play Rise. You're like, which <laughs> tank are we going to put Finn on? Yeah, I agree. It does feel a little blueprinty for Rogue right now. We'll see if uh, Mad Lions can upset the blueprint. All right, last thing, five seconds. Do Fnatic make or do do Fnatic make the miracle run? Do Shalka make, Shalka the, make the miracle run? Thank you. No, I don't think so. I really want them to, but I I just think that so many things have to go wrong, and it's like we never see a miracle run. Ah, yeah, I agree. All right, Shalka, I prove us wrong. Please prove us wrrong. But even I will story. say this: even if Shalka don't make the miracle run, they deserve playoffs. They are definitely a top six team. Also, please don't take us on the emotional roller coaster of being good in the second half of every split just for us to hype you up and for you to immediately crash. So all I can ask is, if you can't make playoffs, please come in swinging in spring 2021. That is my dream for you, Shalka. Uh, this has been. Euphoria Season 6, Episode 7. I look forward to this episode as well as our interviews with Crownshot and Amazing releasing separately, hopefully on the same day. Uh, Other than that, uh, I'm Dracos. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Dracos. This is Frostgrin. You can follow her on Twitter at Frostgrin or at Frostgrin with a 1 on Instagram at Daniel Dracos on Instagram. Hit us up. Let us know how you feel about the episode. And in the meantime, we will see you all next week. Thanks for putting up with us over the break week. Uh, We love you all. Hope you like it. Bye.